0: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Shira Schoenberg. As parents have struggled to work during the pandemic while also watching little kids, society is taking note of just how important childcare is, not only to children, but also to parents and to the entire economy. My guests today are Noni Lesso, academic dean and education professor at Harvard's Graduate School of Education, and Stephanie Jones, a Harvard professor of early education. Noni and Stephanie co-lead the Saul Zantz Early Education Initiative at Harvard, which works to improve early education through training professionals in the field and studying the science behind child development. Thank you for joining me. Noni, how do you think the pandemic has changed how society views early education?
1: It's a great question. Uh, thank you. I think uh, in the shortest run, I do think that the spotlight was on, right? The system collapsed overnight for all kinds of reasons, uh, obvious and appropriate. And um, childcare was out in front. We couldn't work and juggle young kids very effectively and it it cut across all income brackets and communities and it was at scale. I think it's an open question whether we can seize the moment to, to uh, to really lift it up in ways that are lasting and transformative for a sector that has been relatively fragile and underattended to.
0: So first let's talk more about that lack of childcare. Stephanie, you're the expert on child development. A lot of kids right now simply aren't going to structure childcare right now. They're being home with a parent or with a nanny. Do we have any evidence on what this means for kids and families?
2: Uh, also a great question. Um, I think it can mean a lot of things. One thing that we definitely know that it means in the immediate sense is a lot of strain on adults in households. So uh, as we've read and we've heard and the two of us, maybe the three of us have experienced directly, uh, we've got a lot more roles going on in the immediate sense in our households. So we're working at home and we're caring for children, and that at the same time. And that just creates a lot of stress in the environment and that stress can carry over to young children. And that's a real challenge for adults and can be a challenge for children. We have routines and uh, the kind of everyday expectations have been disrupted and that also creates stress for young children. The thing about um, children is that with uh, support, they can make it through such disruption and they can manage those stressors. It's really about figuring out how to support families to navigate in this particular period as we get through it and we start to see uh, early care and education and schools reopen.
0: And you mentioned the reopening. Um, when the first rules came out this summer in the state about wedding child care facilities reopened, we also did hear a lot of concern by educators about what those settings would look like. I'm sure, Stephanie, you heard the same things. How do you teach the value of sharing when you're discouraging kids from sharing? You know, would education be sacrificed to policing masks and distancing? What have we seen? Were those concerns borne out?
2: You raise a really important point that touches on both um, what early education and care does and what it supports young children to learn and um, the kinds of things that we're worrying about when children are away from it and what will happen when they go back. And we know that this period, this early childhood period, is one that's really important for developing self-control, self-regulation, and those really early social skills. But those kinds of things can happen in any setting, and they can happen at home through any kind of interaction. And so I, I worry less that children are missing out on some really important uh, developmental milestone because we know from evidence that children bounce back and those skills can be built later on. I do worry a little when um, we head toward reopening that we'll skip over spending some time on those key social emotional skills in because we're really worried about things like learning loss and that we won't think really intentionally about how to support children to engage with each other in as natural a way as possible while still adhering to some of these uh, requirements because of the pandemic. Um, I'll turn it to Noni, who's maybe has a better sense of what's actually happened as things have opened so far.
1: Yeah, and here in Massachusetts, right, there was an emergency system that was stood up during the surge and then uh, the reopening began in July of 2020 in child cares across the state of Massachusetts. And by and large, I would say that the story is, A, it's hard work uh, to retool and kind of refit with the public health practices and to serve fewer children. But B, it has been very good for those families and those children. It is safe and engaging care. We know too that young children learn in groups and whether there's physical contact is only a very small part of it, right? The language and some of the language-based routines and, and the languages of love and care and also stimulation, right? So I worry a great deal about too many young children at home in very understimulating environments because kids learn in groups with other kids. So um, we think about that too. By and large with the, pub, you know, with the public health practices, it has been doable in Massachusetts and in other states to offer childcare. And I think more and more we'll learn that that is possible up through school age as well.
0: And Noni, one of the biggest challenges that some of the centers I've talked to have cited are financial.
1: Absolutely, um,
0: they obviously lost the tuition money when they closed their doors. They have added expenses for cleaning. Some may have fewer kids due to space requirements. What What do we need to do to address those financial challenges as a society?
1: Yeah, there's no question. And and as I said, the first the first learning was this is really hard, and it's a tremendous sacrifice. And I think. It was also a reminder of just how resilient and dedicated this early education workforce is. And I would say how much more they tend to invest in their work than society has invested in them, right? And um, so in the big picture, Biden administration is onto something. We need a serious stimulus. We need to think differently about the funding mechanisms in the first place, which is that we have to start funding early education um, for the, for the um, setting level, not child by child. So to your point, if we lose a child for a few weeks, we don't necessarily immediately lose pay, right? And what happened in the pandemic, and certainly we just documented this through our statewide study at the Harvard Graduate School of Education is literally overnight, right? I no longer have a paycheck. Yet I'm a public good in a community, right? I'm part of the essential workforce in many ways. So we have to start funding for something with more in ways that are create more stability and continuity um, in terms of, in terms of revenue, um, and that that matches the the scale and scope of the setting and its service to that community and those families. So the
2: only thing I would add to that, I completely agree with everything that Nonis just said, which is that um, we need to think about the entire landscape of the system also as we're doing this. So the early childhood system or, you know, such as it it is, uh, is is not only... Uh, formal settings, uh, pre-K classrooms, like the thing that we all imagine when we think about early childhood education, it's all kinds of settings and settings that are used by families uh, that are desired by families that range all the way from, you know, a, a small family childcare with a small number of children and an adult or two, all the way to those more formal classrooms. And all of those settings need to be supported through all of these initiatives. So we have to take a whole system kind of view.
0: You mentioned the Biden administration. Um, President Biden's stimulus package, I believe would include $40 billion for childcare. I think he was talking about 25 billion for providers and another 15 billion to subsidize families. Tell us more about what exactly he's proposing and how important this money would be for the system.
1: Yeah, it's, first of all, um, I should have said the Biden-Harris administration because I know that the vice president has a strong role in the work around childcare. care. Um, this initial uh, investment will be unprecedented for the U.S. Um, and it will hopefully spur a new era of policy making in early ed that in many ways um, mirrors lots of the positive aspects of the way we have funded K-12 education. We have thought about it in terms of neighborhoods, in terms of populations. We've funded it like the public good that it is. And of course the 40 billion is part of a broader relief and recovery package. So in that sense, it's acknowledging and honoring and um, making material just what has been lost and what needs to happen to rebuild and to build back better as we keep hearing about in their terms. Um, I think where it's very promising is what we're hearing and getting a sense Um, of is a spirit of um, and an appetite for some innovation to try out some funding in new ways. And I hope that states will pilot some new strategies for uh, funding and for, to to Stephanie's point, for thinking about the entire system from uh, women who have kids coming to their house every day through to uh, very formal, more school-like infrastructure, uh, all of that is part of the system. And um, it's clear that that there is an appetite for some flexibility and for states to try some things out with the entire system, rather than to earmark these funds in ways that make them very sort of constrained and, and re- restricted in the way that they use them. And I think this will be a new era and one that acknowledges the human side of the work, the cultural side of the work, the racial and ethnic aspects of the work, and that it's a cornerstone of um, a social sector, if you will.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. And another sort of hallmark of of the Biden-Harris set of initiatives is that they really take the family and the family's needs as a whole unit. So it's it's about supporting families through the child tax credit. It's about supporting families through expanded resources for early care and education. And it really puts the family, you know, this idea of the family with multiple intersecting and interrelated needs at the center. And in a really interesting way, uh, elevates the experiences of the caregivers, both the caregivers at home and the caregivers. In early care and education. So it's really about linking those systems together because, you know, in the world, they really are linked together. So our set of supports for them should be as well.
0: And so, Stephanie, talk to me more about that caregiver piece. One concern I know in the field of early ed is that early educators are paid very little. Therefore, there's a lot of turnover in the field. It's hard to retain staff, it's hard to hire staff. What needs to be done to support the workforce better?
2: So you raise a key point, which is um, uh, a way, a living wage that is tied to uh, the importance and the challenge of the work itself, its centrality in our economy and in uh, family life. So I think that that's a key part of it. It's also about supporting professionals in the system as professionals. So with the kinds of professional development opportunities and professional learning opportunities that really are about uh, the, the educator as a professional in uh, an aligned and integrated system. So um, I think it's, it's both about the wages and earning a living wage, but it's also about professionalizing the workforce in a way that we really haven't taken on systematically or systemically yet.
0: And Noni, you mentioned looking at new models of paying for and structuring the system. Um, until now, what we have, at least here in Massachusetts, is a system that's primarily private pay with some public subsidies for families that most need it. There is a proposal out there this year um, that would basically make early education universal and more affordable. There would be strong public subsidies to make childcare free for the poorest individuals and to ensure that even among wealthier people, no one spends more than 7% of their income on childcare this would be a huge shift from the private pay model. Do you think a move towards a publicly funded model is better than the current private pay model or what, what should the state be looking at?
1: Well, I think up to now we've, we've sort of said, um, we're trying to put public dollars into a private system, right? a largely private system to your point. And Massachusetts has the most expensive childcare market in the country. So there's no arguing um, why it would be better in many ways to turn this into a universal and publics, publicly funded system. Um, you know, it'd be a major financial shock to the system and it would take some time to absorb it and, and, and have that um, absorbed into the system and become part of, part of the way things work. I think what makes it, um, where the rubber hits the road <laughs> with this kind of universal proposal is that not everybody needs it right and so the arguments will be how to will be very much about for whom and why and and how do we how do we uh, actually implement fund and implement in equitable ways so it's an it's it's certainly there are certainly countries that think of and manage their pub, their childcare system as a public good um, not at the scope and scale that is on the table in Massachusetts right now.
0: Are there any models we should be looking to either in other countries or other states?
1: Well, you know, I think what's what's interesting to me when I have when I have looked into this and certainly it's been a while but I'd be happy to pick up the conversation again. What is typically the case, not unlike what Stephanie pointed out about the Biden Harris administration's approach is it's not typically the child care only, but it's a, a, often when you get strong universal pre K, you have a country that has a higher safety net and that starts with paid maternity leaves, longer maternity leaves, more supports by the employers for families with young children. And you have more of a culture and so in many ways what would be great for massachusetts is to just keep the conversation going with the new stimulus dollars with the business community you know sort of engaging various sectors labor housing uh business etc to to drive more of a culture of supporting children and families with our eye towards the universal but ensuring that that isn't in a silo in and of itself because it takes it takes a surround to really leverage the effects of any any one universal initiative in the in the childcare space
0: completely agree I noticed you, I noticed you nodding I'm
1: vigorously nodding <laughs> it's a system of supports that work together for example, lots of these countries that look much better on children's outcomes over time start with a one-year maternity leave, and they have home visiting, right? So right off the bat, we are supporting the family in their launch, in their launch to parenting, and we're not, we're, we are We're have funding for that maternity leave that doesn't place huge financial burden on the families to take it up.
0: Stephanie, I think you and Nani have both been talking about the way in which the Biden administration has been approaching this and how this might be different than what past administrations have done. What lessons can we learn from how childcare and pre-K has been dealt with in the past and what might we be looking to change right now?
2: So, um, I mean, I'll just, I'll I'll say a couple of things that we've that we've highlighted already in one way or another, um, and I'll let Noni chime in because this is something that we've talked about a fair amount. One is, is thinking about a uh, set of supports in this connected and interwoven way, which is what are, what are the sets of things that support families with young children? Um, it's a, a child tax credit. It's support for a real system of early care and education and a whole host of other things that, that surround the family. Um, it's, it's considering the early care and education system as a system <laughs> that is not just of one type, that there, there are many modalities and many types that are that exist for families and that families take up and choose and that those different types are all equally important in the system and need to be supported. In the system, supported, connected in the system. Um, I think that that this notion of of driving funding that allows for innovation and flexibility at the level of place, as opposed to uh, child by child, is something that is very important and really very potentially very exciting and and innovative and different in this model and could really transform how the whole system works. Um, the other thing that that sort of goes back to something that we do a lot in our Zant initiative at the Graduate School of Education is we really think about how do we tie very closely together uh, building a new science of early development and and early care and education as we build a set of supports for families with young children. So we really wanna adopt a model and I think this is really important for these big initiatives, a kind of learn as we go model that takes both sides, the science side and the practice and the policy side equally seriously and brings them together in a kind of dynamic interplay over time. And I'll let Noni add if she has other ones she wants to add to that.
1: I think I would just add one other thing, which is um, for a long time now, there's this sort of this uh, appetite for and to some degree system at various various stages of development across the states uh, of quality improvement. And we've been talking for a long time about quality improvement in early education and care for all kinds of great reasons. And I think what makes the Biden... proposed plan, Biden Harris proposed plan, um, also unprecedented is at, is that it will it will ideally raise the floor. In other words, create a baseline for the working conditions of early education uh, practitioners and administrative colleagues and leaders. It will raise the floor and the baseline, to then actually start to talk in more, in in my view, in more humanizing and and uh, realistic ways about holding them accountable for higher quality, just as we do in other education sectors and work. And to ne- up to now, I would say that hasn't actually been a totally fair proposition because we haven't, we don't have an established baseline that is really a living wage that allows you to focus as a professional on this work and then to be psychologically freed up to do the kind of um, quality improvement work that we know is so important and critical and doable. So at our Zants initiative, we work with a lot of leaders on their own core knowledge and their own ways. You know, we've worked with probably 5,000 leaders at this point on their own ways of managing and leading for quality improvement. But you know, ultimately the bottleneck is that the the system is not stable enough and um, supportive enough I think for a quality improvement initiative at scale.
0: And to bring this back with my final question just to bring it back where we started and I'll ask this to both of you starting with Noni. Do you think that there is an opportunity with the COVID pandemic to really rethink how we provide or how we structure early education? Do you think that that might be a positive that comes out of this moment we're in today?
1: I actually think there's no question. And I think there's no question that there's the potential to do so. I would say there's also no question that actually we're forced to do so. I think in many ways, um, it doesn't take much for all of us to conjure up post-pandemic life as not the same as pre-pandemic life, including the way um, in which I would say we have propelled into the likelihood of much more flexible work regimes, right? HR departments probably all around the country sort of thinking hard about their work from home policies. I think we could imagine lots of parents of young children, whether it's one job or two jobs, not looking for Monday to Friday, nine to five kind of care as we as we emerge and think more about flexible work. So uh, here in the in the Commonwealth, I know the the. The governor has commissioned a study on the future of work. I think the same is true for childcare. If we don't get ahead of this, we won't actually meet families' needs post-pandemic. I think they will need something. They will want and need something different. And I think it's a tremendous opportunity.
2: I, I agree, of course, with everything Noni just described. And I would only add that what I hope is that we will hang on to some of the lessons we've learned, which is one very simple one that early care and education is absolutely central to family life and to a functioning economy. And we, we forgot, we forgot that lesson, (laughs) like it, it, or we weren't carrying it with us before this. And it's been made very clear to us, to everyone, those who are operating and inside that system right now with young children and those who are outside of it, who've been through it already. So I hope we can hang on to that lesson, and I hope we can act on it well into the future. I just hope we don't forget how how critical this system is to our families and to our economy.
0: And you can read a lot more about this topic on commonwealthmagazine.org. Noni Lusso and Stephanie Jones of the Saul Zance Early Education Initiative at Harvard, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you.